Hello, my name's Bert, yeah? And I want to welcome you to the Productive and Activity Podcast. Productive and... Right? Productive... Okay, cool. Okay, look at this. Well, basically, we're going to be exploring the third side of the coin, yeah? Getting real familiar with the things of the world. And basically talking a whole bunch of crap about them. And, uh, hopefully you don't get your knickers in a bunch. Well, without any further ado, here's your host, Wayne Steven. Wayne Steven what? Two first names? That's ridiculous. Anyways, here's your host, Wayne Steven, Mr. Two First Names. Welcome to episode seven of the Productive Inactivity Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Steven. And what I want to discuss today, I really debated with whether or not I wanted to even do this topic because whereas I'm very transparent, I try not to get very personal for the most part because what I've come to find out is people really don't care. But I find this important only because of what I learned from it and hopefully, you know, somebody can glean something from it as well. What many people don't know is that I'm currently living with a blood disease called AL amyloidosis. And what that is, because I'm not gonna get super medical because that's boring. Basically, uh, protein deposits in the blood, bone marrow, it attacked my heart, uh, making it the texture of a really soaked softball. So it can contract as in it can pump blood out, but it can't expand very well, i.e. taking blood in. So my circulation is all jacked up. Um, I went through chemotherapy almost three years ago, almost died. And that process uh, did a few things. One, it made me seriously distrust insurance companies and the pharmaceutical industry as a whole because I went through chemotherapy needlessly, meaning the only reason I got chemotherapy versus what I'm currently being treated with, which is immunotherapy, is because the insurance company wouldn't cover the immunotherapy until the chemotherapy didn't work, which it did not. But going through two rounds of that in a 10 month span rendered me pretty much near death. Um, I almost died even before the chemo came just because the condition was misdiagnosed by a couple of doctors because they weren't familiar with it. So the damage to my heart was continuing and it continued to damage uh, other parts of my endocrine system, i.e. my kidneys. My kidneys are trash also, uh, I might add. Um, I can't get a heart transplant because I'm not sick enough and I would need to be hospitalized in order to get a heart transplant if I was even going to be listed, but that's a whole nother long story altogether. Saying that to say, I almost died three years ago. And in my mind, I remember saying to myself, how can I die right now when my daughter is nine years old going on 10? Because I think about it, and especially in the life of a young lady, 
Young ladies need their dad. This is the part where I'm supposed to say moms are important too. And I'm going to say that. But I'm not going to gloss over the fact that young ladies need their dad. Fathers do something altogether different in a young lady's life than moms do. Fathers give young ladies courage. They make them brave. They give them the insight of the world that mothers I can't say mothers can't give that insight, but fathers just see, see things differently based on the fact that they live daily to protect their daughters from men. Women don't really know how to protect their daughters from men from a male perspective. And that's why I say young ladies need their fathers. I'm pretty sure the super duper feminists will hop all over this. But the kind of man I am, I am a man of respect. I am a man of worth. I'm not a slouch. I am not a sluggard. I am not somebody who lacks self-control in body, mind, and mouth. And to find those kind of men are sometimes few and far in between. So I know what I provide my daughter from a male perspective that's why I don't let the super duper feminists get under my skin when they start kicking that jive to me about mothers being equally as important, if not more so than dads, because that's not what this is about. What this episode is about today is when I was suffering the effects of chemotherapy and I was in my sick bed, my daughter was the only person to not treat me like I was sick. And I'll tell you what I mean. Me and my daughter have a very funny relationship from the outside looking in. If you look at us, interact, we look more like friends than we do father and daughter. But that's for a couple of reasons as well. One, she's an only child, so I feel like I have to wear many hats when I'm dealing with her, I have to be father, friend, confidant, somebody she's comfortable talking to, somebody she will continue to want to talk to as she gets older and begins to go through more things in life. I think a lot of fathers miss the mark when it comes to that. I'm not saying that my way is the best way because there are some times where I have to get her out of play mode and go listen this is coming from dad the dad and it's not that it's a chore to do those things and it's not that it's a chore to snap into that mode but most would not rather go through that they would rather just be in dad mode all the time and then they wonder why when their daughters become teenagers they no longer want to talk to them it's because they've proven themselves unreliable sources of both wisdom and caring because they spent too much time trying to be Brody dad instead of being flexible, understanding dad. But again, my daughter's an only child. I don't know a lot of only children. I don't know a lot of men raising only children, so their approach would be different. So I remember being on my sickbed and she would steal my food. She does that now. And the funny thing about her stealing my food was at the time, because of the chemotherapy, my taste buds made everything taste like I was sucking on hot nickels and pennies, 
which is the worst feeling in the world. That I wouldn't wish that on somebody I dislike with all my heart. It's the worst. And she would still like mess with me, like she would still like punch me and run knowing that I couldn't get up and chase her because at the time I was suffering from edema. That was before I got on the um, diuretics that to pull all the water out of my system. I was suffering from edema. And for those who haven't seen pictures of me or whatever, I'm very slim built. Um, I do have muscle, but that's because I work out. But I'm very slim built, meaning my wrists and ankles are very thin. But at that time, my ankle looked like a, a grandmama's biscuit. Like my ankle looked like that lady in a Southern Baptist church who shoved her Sunday best shoe on and it was a slight too small and it made her feet swell. My ankles looked like that for a strong four months. And it was weird because I'm skinny and to have a fat water filled ankle was hilariously gross. But my daughter would still mess with me. She still treated me like I was healthy. Except in the times where, you know, I would do sick person things like, you know, pass out at the top of the steps and be unconscious for like some time or whatever. But outside of that, you know, she still treated me like dad every day. And I remember one day I was having a really bad day. Like it was it, it, when you're on chemotherapy, you have good days, you have bad days and you have days where you know that you're on chemotherapy. So. I'm laying in bed and I, I call her to me and I said, listen, I was like, I need you to listen to me with, I'm listening to my dad ears. I don't need you to, to play around right now. I need you to, to be attentive. And she understood. So with that said, she sat down and I remember looking at her. I said, there's some things I want to talk to you about. And the first thing I started with was how a man should treat her. I said, first and foremost, I want you to understand something. You can want a man, but you don't need one to make you complete as a woman per se. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, when you watch young women go about middle school, they're so in a hot pursuit to have boyfriends and be part of that coming of age process that they'll allow for anything. So I said, Mackenzie, you will not allow for anything. The first sign of disrespect, you confront it, you check it and you let whoever that boy is be known that that is not the kind of behavior that will ever win you over. And I remember shortly after she had encountered uh, some, some racism because we do live currently in a small town and I am the black population. So with that said, you know, there's some, there's some ignorance here that we do have to combat at times. And she came home and told me what a young man had said towards her. I instantly wanted to beat up his dad because you can't just run around punching, you know, 10 year olds in the face. So, any disrespect from a 10 year old kid, I immediately want to fight his dad because I know that's where he got it from, especially here and especially that. And she told me what she had done and she confronted it. She confronted that racism. She didn't, she said she cried later. She cried later because just the words hurt, but she confronted it head on. 
and I was so proud of her. And at the same time, I had to, I was proud, but I was fuming with anger on the inside. But I couldn't show her that because this was her moment where she had to, she had proven to me, not that she was trying to prove it, but where she had shown me that she pays attention. Let me not use prove. She had shown me that she had, that she pays attention when I talk. And that it was only a small portion of what we discussed that day. And I, I sat there and I looked her in the face and I asked her, I said, why don't you treat me like I'm sick? Why do you still, you know, mess around with me and do all this other stuff? And I wasn't looking for validation. I was honestly curious because at the time she was so young or too young, in my opinion, to be dealing with that this well. And she said something to me. She said, dad, you don't even act sick. You still laugh, you still joke, you still play video games. You're still dad to me. You're just a little less dad physically because I had dropped down from 170 to 150 and I was very slight of frame. My skin was grayish and as a black dude, to have your skin have a gray hue, it looks, it looks a little scary. I, I didn't even like to go outside. But other conversations that we had that day, I said, listen, the reason I take this so well, honestly, is because I don't feel as though the Lord would have me pass away right now. This is just something that I'm going through. And there's going to be times where you get put through things that don't necessarily make sense. But you have to maintain your faith. Now, I want to stop right here and say, many people that are listening to this may not even be people of faith. So this is not me forcing my faith on you. This is me expressing my faith to you. And the fact that my daughter saw me living my faith out through one of the most trying times I had ever personally seen and that she had ever personally seen was such an amazing testimony that it made me want to continue in that same vein and be strong just for her and whoever would see me. But primarily it was for her. Most of the things I do are for her because we live in a world right now that is controlled by people that aren't telling you that it's okay to do certain things, be certain things. Uniformity and groupthink is very much alive. No matter how much the tech age and the age of the entrepreneur and the age of earning money online has taken people who used to be regular everyday people to six-figure income earners. I wanted to let her know that that could be her reality and it still can be her reality. I reaffirm to her every day of my sickness that this does not define me, which is why I don't talk about it a lot whenever people ask me how I'm doing. Like me being sick is not a definition of Wayne Steven. And I told her, I was like, you are never defined by your circumstances, but how you handle them is what defines you. And she was like, that makes sense. And when she said that makes sense, she was looking me square in the eye. And then she did something 
that made me super emotional. I cried later. I didn't cry then and there. Not because I didn't feel like crying, but because I wasn't thinking about it as an emotional moment until she had left the room. She said, that makes sense. And then she reached out and she rubbed my cheek. And then she just smiled and went and did her homework or whatever it is she was doing. And I just, I broke down after she left the room because that touch and that look said to me, I know you're gonna be okay. And I know that you're gonna continue to be strong in these moments. And I just, I, I can't, there's a certain level of guilt that I possess because this situation that I went through literally aged her three to four years to the point where she finds it hard to relate to people her own age because people her own age have never been through the situations she has been through. And not only just me and my, and my illness, but her dealing with racism face to face at such a young age and handling it like most adults should, but do not. I'm just so proud of her every day. And these convos that I have with Mackenzie just goes to further affirm that I am somehow making an impact in her life just by being myself. Now, to some people, what I just said doesn't make sense because it's like, of course you impact your child. But I'm not talking about impact for now. I'm talking about impact for the world she's going to enter into later after she's left our care. I remember saying to her one day, after a discussion we were having about race, I said, Mackenzie, I was like, you are half your mother and half me biologically, but the world will never see you as anything more than a black woman. I wanna stop there because people are gonna have a problem with that too. But you can. If you think you can have a problem with what I just said, you can. Until you've lived your life as a person of color, even a person of color who is mixed with another race, you will never understand what only being seen as that brown race is like. And just to further my point, my wife Jody looked at her and said, your dad's absolutely right. Which when she said that, it caught me off guard because I thought that what I said would offend her, but it didn't. So let me switch the scene a little bit. I love watching my daughter do anything, but she has a tendency to be a little lax in her approaches. I remember one day I pulled her to the side. She was playing softball. I pulled her to the side and I asked her straight up, why are you playing softball? She said, because I like it. And I looked her in the eye and I said, Mackenzie, when you like something, you give your effort to it. That's not what I'm seeing right now. So I'm gonna ask you one more time. Why do you play softball? 
because my friends play. I said, I want to give you a piece of advice. You can take it or leave it. Never do anything for fleeting reasons such as the presence of other people. Everything you do, you put your all into it for reasons that lie with inside of you and will result in you being better at that thing. And what I was trying to do was separating her from that groupthink that is literally infesting our youth because they just do things because there's somebody else that's doing the thing. And now when everybody's doing the thing, we can all talk about the thing we do together, but never really love the thing we're doing. I said, whatever you do, put your whole self into it so it can better you in that thing. This season, she chose not to play softball. I didn't tell her not to. I just told her to do it for the right reasons. And I'm preaching that to her because young ladies these days are easily swayed by their groups of friends, but nobody wants to admit it until something goes wrong. The moment something goes wrong within that peer group, whether somebody gets hurt or, let me stop, let me stop if somebody gets hurt. And I told, I gave her, I told her a story. I said, let me, I said, I want, I want you to imagine something. You're in a car. Your friend is driving too fast. The people you are with are loving the fact that your friend is driving too fast. You don't like the fact that that friend is driving too fast. What do you do? She was like, I tell the friend to stop. I was like, you said that kind of easy. But if you think about what I'm saying, that's basically how the softball situation played out. You tagged along. You didn't stop doing it because your friends are doing it and you didn't like it. And the reason I use that analogy is because I want her to understand that even the tiniest bit of compromise can lead to somebody being hurt because that story that I just told was a real one. But the thing that happened was somebody else's daughter got killed. It wasn't mine. Somebody else's daughter got killed, but that person lived, the person who was driving too fast. And I wanted to make it real like that because sometimes kids don't understand that their friends don't always have their best interest in mind and to choose your friends wisely, to watch your friend's personality traits. I talked to her a lot about that. And it's not that I don't want her to have friends. I want her to be wise in choosing her friends. I don't want her to go through the same mistakes I did when I was younger in trying to befriend people who don't want to befriend me in the same way that I'm willing to commit to them. And I told her every day, I said, Mackenzie, you need to watch out for these personality traits. I said, always watch the way people treat other people who don't do the same thing as them. That's all I had to say. She went to school for that whole week and she said, dad, you know, such and such got kicked off the table. I said, what do you mean got kicked off the table? Yeah, this girl who has assumed authority over the entire table kicked this one girl off the table and told her that she's not allowed to sit here. I said, is that her place to do that? 
She's like, no. I was like, what did you say? Nothing. I was like, you need to check that because you know right from wrong. Couple of days went by. Couple of days went by after that. She came to me, she said, dad, I had the opportunity to do what you said. I said, what I say? Because I never know what I say because sometimes I'll be saying stuff and then she puts it to, into action and it'll be completely out of context. I really don't want her to hit kids. I told her to defend herself, but I'm teaching her how to box and I just, I really, I'm not looking forward to the day. Oh, goodness gracious. This girl takes me so literally sometimes, not when I'm like, clean your room. When I'm like, clean your room, she's like, eh, well, that means rearrange my room and take all day. But saying that to say, she's like, I spoke up. I was like, what you mean? She was like, remember when I told you that the girl who was kicking, kicking girls off the table? I was like, yeah. She's like, I ran up on her. I was like, you don't have the authority to do that. As a matter of fact, you should probably never tell me what to do. As a matter of fact, don't tell me what to do. I'll sit where I want. And I invited that girl to come back and sit at the table. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, how did this girl receive that? She looked me dead in the eye and say, what was she going to say to me? I had to step back. I'm like, I'm scared of you. I don't want no problems. I think I'm creating a monster for real. But in saying that, and, and I want to close here because I don't want to talk your ear off. Anybody who has, and I want to say daughters, I want to make it applicable to daughters. Because girls are, are really given the raw deal when they're young. They're taught to be quiet in a world that won't give them what they want if they continue to do so. I'm going to say that again. They're taught to be quiet in a world that won't give them what they want if they continue to do so. So if they continue to be this, shh, settle down, quiet down. Nobody ever tells boys to quiet down. I tell boys to quiet down because little boys are way too noisy for me. Keep that, keep that energy over there. Shh, little dude, you talking too loud, you talking too much, you talking too, too everything. Everything is extra. I like little girls to speak up. I love it when little girls speak up because now I know that a woman is being created who won't tolerate being shushed by a man. I hate that. I have a distaste for little girls that are raised to shush in front of a man or be shushed by a man. That's not the kind of little girl I'm raising. When you, and I told her this, I said, when you get married and you marry that man of respect and he's a man that you can submit to and he's a man that's submitted to God, Again, this is my faith, not yours. And you find that man, for him and him only, do you submit yourself and be that Proverbs 31 woman. Until then, you keep sifting them out. You keep being selective. You keep being shrewd with the way you scrutinize the people you see. Judge their personalities. Ask questions. Don't take anything at face value. And that's the message I give to all little girls that are gonna become the young women who raise the children of tomorrow. That's pretty much all I gotta say about that. You can catch me on all my social media, Productive Inactivity, on iTunes, Podbean, where else am I? I'm on SoundCloud, Instagram, Twitter. Productive Inactivity Podcast everywhere. This is Wayne Steven with the Productive Inactivity Podcast, yes sir.